You know, I, I can't help but think about the fact that when it comes to the garden, history began in the garden. Jesus uh, made the decision to go to the cross in the garden. And of course, history ends in the garden again. All of history is moving toward that moment. And, and the, uh, the Apostle John describes the, in the center of the garden is the tree of life where the river flows to it and there'll be the, the leaves will be there for the healing of the nations and it will flourish all season, all year. It will never stop flourishing. And uh, I, I look forward to that picture. And so, you know, the, but the intimacy of that song reminds us that we can have intimacy with him right now. He invites us even now into that, that garden of, of opportunity to love him and be loved by him. So there is a sense where we've come to the garden in this sanctuary today and I'm glad that, that you are here. I believe this, that God the Father wants to say something to us. I believe that the Son of God wants to give something to us. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do something in us. May we be ready to receive that today. Boy, I was off last week. I had the opportunity. We were in Indiana, had the uh, chance to marry my son. I didn't marry him. I performed the, the wedding. I should probably put it that way. You will be happy to know that I made it through. I, you know, just a few tears and a little snotty nose and that kind of thing. But, but I knew I had to keep going because Ohio State was playing later that night. So, so we got through it. But I am so glad they, uh, they got back from their honeymoon. They went to Jamaica. Wouldn't it have been nice? I went to some woods in Pennsylvania, I guess, on my honeymoon. But uh, I would love to give you a chance to be introduced to Mr. and Mrs. Caleb and Megan Schultz. They're with me. And uh, guys, stand up. I'm going to embarrass them. <laughs> They got back yesterday, and I reminded Megan there are no refunds available, so uh, she's, uh, she's stuck with him now, so that, that's, that's great, and uh, you, she's bought that. So anyways, we're, we're just so proud, and you know, it's first wedding I performed where I actually walked away with something, you know, a daughter, and uh, we're really, really grateful for that and love, love her, and I'm sure we're going to love her that much more. It is my uh, hope this morning as we think about... Um, about our ministry, that, that we will be always a ministry of prayer. And just to remind you, and I can't see your sign, Don. You're going to have to let me know. The pulpit. So I should turn this off? Okay. It's, it's always something. It, it really is. But anyway, uh, in terms of prayer, I would like to remind you that our ministry is based on prayer. We don't do anything without being connected to our Father. Uh, Thursday mornings, we have a prayer group that meets here early and they come together to go through those prayer requests that you list on your connect card week after week. We're grateful for those requests, by the way, but we want you to know we take them seriously. It gives us as a staff an opportunity to know what's happening in your life, what burdens you're bearing. But Thursday morning, we have a small group that comes together. And by the way, you're invited to join that group anytime. Then on Wednesday night at seven o'clock, we have another group. John Bartos uh, reminded me that, that Wednesday night on down this hallway here at 7 o'clock, they come together, do the same thing. We're praying for revival in our church, praying for a revival in our nation, praying for revival throughout the world. And uh, we, we know that in this day, as hearts continue to drift, and let's be honest, that's what we see, that's what we're seeing all around us in our culture, 
that God would do a new thing. He's done it before in our country. There's been not one, but two great awakenings. Why not a third? He can do it again, and I know that that's his heart. The question is, is it ours? My privilege now, as we think about God's word, I'd invite you to just go with me to, uh, to the scriptures, and uh, let, let's go before the Heavenly Father to pray that he would give us insight. Dear Jesus, as we come to your holy scriptures, we pray this morning that our hearts would be ready to receive your word, that you would speak clearly, and we would hear and have the wisdom to follow the direction that you give us. Father, I think of those this morning who have lost loved ones in our congregation this week. I think of the family of John Johnson and Harriet Beekman. I think, Lord, of uh, uh, Bob Wallach and Sue this morning as uh, Bob just went home to be with you last evening. And then, Lord, uh, Tom and Mary and Tom also on Friday night. And so, Lord, we've suffered a, a lot of sense of loss within our congregation in a very short time. And yet, Lord, we rejoice that each of those individuals knew you and they loved you. And now their pain is over. Their life, in fact, is just beginning. I pray, God, that you would allow us to hear words of life today, that we would live that life fully. We sang the song, I pray it would be true to us, that this is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like as your people come together. And we rejoice that we are a people of the living God. May that be true as we open your word together. Would you pray the Lord's Prayer with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Would you turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 20? We uh, return to this. We started in the first part of September this uh, series going through the Ten Commandments. I hope you've joined us, but if you haven't, uh, this is your first Sunday with us. Come on in. We're going to look at each of these uh, over the next coming weeks up until Thanksgiving. But I want to begin this morning in Exodus 20, and then we'll turn over to Revelation chapter 15. Uh, let's stand as we receive this word together. Hear God's word. Exodus 20 says, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And then in Revelation chapter 15, the very last book of Scripture, I want to just read these couple of verses, beginning with verse 2. 
The Apostle John reports, And I saw what looked like a sea of glass, glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. As I've mentioned, we have been studying the Ten Commandments, and we saw that first week that the first commandment, in the first commandment, God directs us to put him first in everything. You shall have no other gods before me. We talked about some practical ways we could do that. I suggested to you that we give him the first minutes of every day. We give him the first day of every week. We also give him the first portion of what we make. But the second word gives us a, a, another idea. God, God says to us, you shall not make yourself a graven image. The command there is don't make God small. He is all in all. He's majestic and worthy of all praise and glory. He is infinite and all-powerful. But this morning, we come to the third word, the, the third commandment. And if you haven't noticed yet, the commandments are taking us deeper and deeper into worship. I, I just want to say this here. Listen, we are created to worship. We're not to neglect worship. When we neglect worship in the, in the life of a believer, that is fatal. It is a fatal mistake. Because for us, worship is to be life. It is the breath of a Christian. And so if the second commandment forbids low or careless thoughts about God, the third commandment forbids low and careless words about God. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. As the King James said, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The other night, I uh, began to watch the old musical, My Fair Lady. Have you seen that? A couple of you, it seems like. My wife says I'm an old man just because I sat down and watched that whole thing. I'd never seen it all before, three hours long. But I'm telling you, I'm desperate. I don't know what to watch anymore. I just don't know what's good enough to give my time to when it comes to entertainment. But I sat there, and I watched it. And if you are familiar with the musical... It, it has Professor Henry Higgins at the very beginning. He is a scholar of phonetics. And the movie begins by him identifying where people are from by simply listening to their speech. He could tell what region they were from just by listening to how they spoke. Now, I, I thought about this. You know, I'm always a bit surprised when people tell me that I have a southern accent. They ask me, where are you from? I, I didn't know I had a southern accent. I don't know what you think, but it happened to me the other day. I was on a plane and met a, a, a lady who was sitting beside me, and she said, where are you from? Well, you can't be from Ohio. And I said, I, I absolutely am. And, and we, we talked for a little bit. But the truth is, we can know something about people 
by the way they speak. Now, when you hear somebody use the name of God or the name of Jesus Christ as an obscenity, you immediately know something about that person, don't you? Either they've lost their self-control out of frustration or fear or anger, or they have not yet come to understand the majesty and the holiness of God. In either case, they need to listen to this command. Don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. So what does it exactly mean to take his name in vain? What would it exactly mean to misuse it? Jack Cottrell, in his book, His Holy Way, defined using it in a thoughtless, irreverent, empty, hypocritical, or profane way. We profane God's name when we use it as an expletive or a swear word. I I suspect that that's rather obvious, but the truth is I hear many expressions in casual conversation where we vainly refer to God in ways that, quite frankly, are forbidden by this command. And I want you to even know this morning as I approach this topic, as I thought about it, I do this with a bit of fear and trembling with the hope that there will be no misunderstanding as to what I'm talking about. So I'm going to be uh, sharing some of those expressions that maybe we haven't thought about. But when you hear somebody say, God, or my God, Those phrases uttered without concern for the person of God or the character of of God, that is blasphemy according to the Bible. And, And I hear this regularly from Christians, never mind in the media, phrases like, I swear to God, or great God Almighty, they fit in that category too. You know, when you think about it, there may be no other command that we violate more than this one. When we use the name of Jesus in a profane way, we're breaking this commandment. John 10, 20, uh, Jesus uh, is correctly identified by Thomas when Thomas suddenly declares, my Lord and my God. He knew, he'd come to know that Jesus was God in the flesh. You see, his name is to be honored and revered. The Apostle Paul wrote, the name above every, that Jesus, the name of Jesus is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. The religious leaders, they confronted Peter and John saying, you've healed this lame man, by what power or in what name have you done this? They said, in the name of Jesus. You see, it's blasphemous to use his name as a swear word. And when a person says, for Christ's sake, or Jesus Christ, or Jesus, that ought to trouble us deeply. We're breaking the third commandment. We we can do this by thoughtlessly using the word Lord. You know, I can hear some sweet Christian lady saying, Lord, have mercy, or good Lord. That is no more or less profane than saying, good God. We're we're not talking about some English nobleman. We're talking about the God of heaven, the maker of heaven and earth. And whenever we refer to his name, the Bible says it ought to be in a reverent way. 
You know, in our culture, names are ba mostly based on personal preference. Time Magazine has a web page where if you put your name in and the year that you were born, it will determine what you would be named today. So I put in my name, G-E-O-F-F, -F, Jeff, and it turned out in 1969, that was the 602nd most popular name. So not, not very popular at all. Today, however, I would be named Castile. <laughs> A little Latin, you know, I kind of like that. Now, my parents wanted to spell my name J-E-F-F. -F. You know, that's the more popular way. And at the time, that was number 11 on the list in 1969. However, you know, the doctor who delivered me said, hey, if you want it to be more unique and a little different, why don't you spell it this way? And so they, they went in that direction. But in 2021, the top popular names for girls are Olivia, Emma, and Amelia. For boys, it's Noah, Liam, and Oliver. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? They're kind of fads. They go through different seasons. They, you, don't, uh, you know, there are certain names you don't hear as much anymore, but they may come back again. But the truth is, in the Bible, names were given not on the basis of popularity or how they sounded, perhaps, but in the ancient Near East, the giving of a name had deep significance. A name carried a sense of the person's character, whether good or bad. You remember, for instance, Jacob. He was literally named Jacob, which meant he grasps the heel. And as you see his story develop, he becomes synonymous with deception and wanting to hold on to control. Joshua, in the Old Testament's name, means Yahweh is salvation and represented God's promise of deliverance to his people. It's, of course, the root name of Yeshua, Jesus. Names were sometimes changed in the course of their faith journey so that Abram, you remember, changed his name to Abraham. Abram meant exalted father. Abraham, he became, quote, the father of many nations. Then Jacob himself, you remember, God gave him a name change. He became Israel. Simon, remember Simon, the disciple? His name was changed by Jesus. Jesus declared, you will be called Peter, the rock, which indicated that Peter was going to be a foundational element, a leader in the church that Jesus was establishing. To know someone's name was to know their soul, their character. You remember that God had chosen to give his name to Israel through his prophet Moses. You remember the story when Moses approaches the burning bush and God tells him, I want you to go to Pharaoh and declare, let my people go. Moses, one of the responses Moses gives is, well, who shall I say has sent me? And God there reveals his name. Tell them, I am has sent you. Yahweh. God had given them his name. In fact, the people of Israel became known as the people of the name. They had been given something precious about God's character. And so anytime you see the name of the Lord in scripture, uh, in a verse or a passage, the truth is we can, we can substitute the character of the Lord in its place. 
God's name represents the sum total of who he is. I am. I am holy, loving, just, compassionate, merciful, kind, good, infinite, omnipotent, sovereign, gracious. To pray then in the name of the Lord is to pray according to his character. This is who you are, O oh God. Jesus taught us to pray our Father. There is intimacy there that each of us enjoy as part of his family. But then he said, hallowed be thy name. And so to call upon the name of the Lord is to ask God to act according to his character. To take shelter in the name of the Lord is to place our trust in who he is. To be baptized in the name of the Lord is to identify ourselves with his character, where he is our salvation, he is our strength, he is our new identity. And so you begin to see why to misuse his name is to use his name in a way that misrepresents him, his character. We are not to lift up the name of Yahweh to falsehood. We are not to demean his character to profane his name is to lie about him. You know, to the Jews, they had such reverence for the name Yahweh, God, that they would not even pronounce it for fear of misusing it. The truth is that, that uh, we're not sure how to pronounce it because for centuries they only pronounced it one time, one person on the Day of Atonement in the temple by the high priest. When, when Jews would read the Torah, the text, when they came to the word Yahweh, they would substitute, instead of saying that word, the name, they would substitute the word Adonai. They believed it was better not to use it at all, except again on that day of atonement. When scribes were copying the Torah, when they were making copies of that holy book, when they came across the name, they would stop and go through a ritual bath. They would say a ritual prayer. They would take a new pen, write the name, and then break the pen. So it would never be used again. Out of reverence for the name. The third commandment concludes by saying, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who misuses his name. In Leviticus 24, there's a story about what happened shortly after Moses received this commandment. The, the two young men, there are two young men in Israel's camp. They have a fight with each other, and one of them curses and blasphemes the name of the Lord. The people of the camp grabbed this young man and they brought him to Moses. Moses put this man in custody and waited for the Lord to tell him what to do. And in Leviticus, in Leviticus 24, verse 13, we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head. And the entire assembly is to say to him, is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, if anyone curses his God, he will be held responsible. And anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. 
That sounds like a terribly severe punishment. To blaspheme, to misuse the name of the Lord is a deadly sin. God was showing us how important it is that we hollow, hold holy his name. Psalm 111.9 says, holy and awesome is his name. So we are to show honor and respect to God with our words. But you know, the Bible makes it clear that this really goes beyond words for God. When we become people of the name, when we take on the name of Christ, when we become a Christian, we're taking on the name of Jesus, meaning we belong to Christ, all of our language should be different. Let me just give you a scattering of verses here. Ephesians 4.14 do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be benefit those who listen. Ephesians 5.4, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. James 1.26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Proverbs 4.14, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Can I say, and I believe I am right here, I think that that extends to what we say online or what we put in a text this is about what we communicate to others because this is so important this is about our testimony and many a Christian witness has been destroyed because of the language he or she uses you know Jesus gets very direct here in Matthew chapter 12 verse 34 he says you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, the most ready expression of what really is going on inside of your life will be shown by how you talk. Your mouth is the billboard of your heart. The good person, Jesus says, out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his treasure, brings forth evil. In fact, Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Now, that's good news and bad news, isn't it? In a sense, the bad news is, is God is keeping track of all my words. And one day, I'm going to give an account for them, for those words. But the good news is, we can be saved by our words too. Jesus says, by your words, you can be justified. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Our words make that difference. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. So not only is God evaluating our testimony, but there are other people evaluating our speech around us. Let me ask you, if you had a coworker show up to church this morning, would they be surprised to see you here? I didn't know he was a Christian. Would it surprise them to see you sitting here? Pastor Bob Russell talks about a person who's visiting several churches. When he walked into a church and without hearing the sermon or listening to one song, he said, I'm not coming back. Because he said that the person who was standing there ready to share communion that morning was part of the communion stewards, was a lawyer who had one of the foulest mouths he had ever known. He said, no. People know who you are by what you say. Do they know that you're a Christian? Don't take the name of Christ in vain. So what do we do in a practical way to be disciplined in our speech and not misuse or take the name of our God in vain? The first thing that I guess comes to my mind is that many of us maybe need to consider, uh, maybe we need to repent. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to tell you this morning, he wants to give you a new heart and a new mind and a new tongue. He wants to change your life. And if you come to him in repentance, he will do that. But I'm also speaking to many of us who have walked and are Christians and believe that we're in the faith. But you even right now, maybe through the Holy Spirit, realize that, that you have become careless in the words that you're willing to use. And I want to re remind you that God wants to change you. He wants you to grow in wonder for his name. You know, that is the great yes of this commandment. When Paul wrote in Philippians 2, Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Most scholars believe that that was a hymn that Paul was just reciting. He was just taking a hymn that all the early Christians knew, and, and they all sang. It was a part of their song. It was a part of their worship. It was their assurance. It was their life. Jesus was the name above every name. And by the way, it was also the name by which many of them died. Because in that day, when they would say, Jesus is Lord, instead of Caesar, they would often be taken away and killed because of the name. And so if some take God's name in vain by cursing, the truth is many of us do so by neglecting the name's power and majesty and glory. John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he will be faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I want you to know this morning, even now, that he will forgive those evil words that you've spoken. He can wipe them clean. I think of the story of Simon Peter. Remember Peter? 
One moment he confessed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Right there at Caesarea Philippi, his eyes were opened. He knew who Jesus was. But just a short time later, at the trial of Jesus, when it got dark and the pressure was on, the Bible says he cursed. And the Bible says he denied Jesus three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. But Jesus forgave him. Isaiah 66, 2 says, This is one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. See, you can go out of here today and think, well, Pastor Jeff, man, alive, that was a big to-do about nothing. Or you can go out this morning and say, I tremble at the word of God as I look at my life, as I consider my speech. The second thing I would say is maybe we need to be held accountable. You know, some of you have gotten into this habit where you practice profanity so proficiently, you don't even realize what you're doing. You know, it doesn't phase you at all. It's no big deal, and you don't know what impact it has on your testimony. Maybe we need to allow someone in our life to lovingly confront us and say, would you help me? Help me become more aware. Help me to hear it myself. Mom and dad, your kids are listening to you. And the third thing I just suggest is this. We need to be careful to not put ourselves in vulnerable situations. We need to avoid them. When I was in college, I've told you this before, I worked at the Honda uh, automobile plant in Marysville. That was an eye-opener for me, Much even, even versus high school. I've had a lot of you know, profanity in high school, but those auto workers took it to a new level in the auto plant. I'm sure for many of you, uh, that's, that's the environment you find yourself in every day. Ask God to help you. You know, you know, God will. Psalm 141.3, I don't think I put this on the screen, but Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Ask him to, to help you set a new standard, to not be afraid to stand out, to, to hear what you're you yourself are saying what one of the negative things that's going on in our culture and it has changed so dramatically in the last 30 to 40 years is we have this advent of streaming services and cable tv and and, and it started with the vcr many years ago but what happens is in the form of our entertainment we have vulgarity all around us in our homes be careful of what you give your attention to you know, there are some shows, they might be great shows, they might have a beautiful storyline or an interesting storyline, but you can't watch them. Why? Because of the vulgarity, the profanity. It's just not healthy for you. Because what you take in will be what comes out. You know, there are shows that Mary and I would like to watch, but we just don't. We're not interested. And that's why we're watching, or I'm watching, because she fell asleep, My Fair Lady. I was surprised how much vulgarity there was in there. Professor Higgins said a word or two. 
what we are exposed to makes a difference. Really, on Friday, I I was working on this message, and in my mind, I was just thinking through the various ways we take God's name in vain. And so I'm kind of listing in my mind, I'm writing these down as they come to me. And I was in the office thinking about this, and then I found myself talking to Pastor Jason and and David and Ginger about the price of automobiles today, the price of used cars and the lack of them and all that. And Jason suddenly piped up. He said, you know, I'm in the market for a minivan. Well, in just that moment, I said, well, God bless you if you are trying to get a vehicle these days. Now, I had never used a phrase like that before, not in that sense. And I I guess you could argue, well, that sounds actually kind of spiritual. But as I thought about it, I realized that was one of the phrases I had written down. And I had just, just by thinking about it, moved in my mind to take the name of the Lord in vain. And how quickly I'd come to using it. Never mind if I'm hearing word after word after word within a film. I know that I wasn't speaking it with reverence. Psalm 8, 9 says, O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Is it majestic here? Is it majesty in your heart? You know, I know that people practice in various ways, but sometimes they have these swear jars. Remember, that used to be a healthy practice, I guess. And you say a word and you put some money into the jar. This is what scripture makes clear, doesn't it? It's not enough. What you put in that jar, it's not enough. But listen to this. This is the good news. He loves you so much. Even though you have sinned and you deserved death, he sent his son to die for you. And by the way, when he was on that cross, Jesus did not swear. He did not curse. He said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Friend, don't make Jesus your favorite swear word. Make Jesus your Savior. For there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. His name is to be lifted up in praise. May it always be in his church. If you call yourself a Christian, If you've taken that name, live like it, speak like it, reflect the glory. Lord, help us. Thank you that, Lord, you have paid the price of our sin, and you have forgiven us our sin, and you are able to cleanse us and transform us. But, Lord, we we speak the name of Jesus in the most reverent terms. Thankful that he is the name above every name. Out of his name we experience healing, grace, forgiveness. His name is truth. His name is power. His name is holy and beautiful to us. May we in this room be called the people of the name. And Father, if there's anyone here who needs to make a decision, 
to follow after you, I pray that they would cry out to you and say, Lord, I confess to you I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord. I take the name. And Father, for those of us who have walked with you for some time but have slipped into very dangerous habits of carelessness with our words, I pray that you would convict us of our sin and we would repent and we would honor you to reflect your glory. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.